Lord, I'm not called. Thank you for having me here. Oh, this is the last until 8 o'clock, committee. Okay, so I was thinking about maybe speaking for 40, 45 minutes, something like that, and then if we have some discussion after that. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me here. Uh, I'm here because I don't want to think again. <laughs> That's the only reason why. Uh, I need to carry this message, and and carrying this message is one of the most powerful things that, that keep me sober and keep me close to God that I, that I have to have, you know, have at my disposal today. So, so that, you know, that's why I'm here. My, my home group uh, here at, in this continent, at least as first to sure, we meet on, on Monday nights at 2218, the Alamo Club there, which is, by the way, the oldest functioning Alamo Club in the known universe. It's pretty cool. Uh, my sobriety date is January the 12th, 1999. And as I said before, you know, I like I like saying that I, I got sober some some sometime in the last century. Sounds pretty cool. But you know, I barely just made it. Um, kind of my qualifications for being here, I guess, is that I've been I've been working this program. Up from the big book since uh, August of 1999, and just to outline for for you guys where I'm coming from is that uh, about Christmas of 1998, something like that, I'd been both test driving the physical allergy of this illness and the mental obsession for for some time. And I was pretty convinced that I, I couldn't drink. I was pretty convinced that I had an allergy to alcohol, and I was pretty convinced that that I couldn't live any kind of a functional life if I was drinking alcohol. And uh, what ended up happening is that I, for a series of unfortunate events, I, I ended up kind of without a home traveling around uh, Europe drinking and um, and one of the places I was staying was my dad's house she lived in Belgium at the time and uh, I had a moment of clarity there and I got totally convinced that I would die if I wouldn't stop drinking <laughs> I wasn't even 21 years old and I can't explain why I had this gift of despair at that moment in time I and you know, and today, as I perceive reality, it was only through the grace of God, as I understand Him, that I had that despair. There are people who think like I did all their lives, and they never get that despair. You know, they never get that motivation, if, if I might say. So, you know, I don't know. I I just was totally convinced there were no empty you know rounds left in the Russian roulette I've been playing. So I, <coughs> I called, you know, back home and got, and got back on, uh, on the track of trying to stay sober. And I, and I remember when I was on the, on the plane riding home, I made a short list of what I was going to do to stay sober. And uh, I remember I was going to, you know, wake up early in the morning. I never woke up early in the morning. 
that I was drinking. Or, you know, it's kind of I was going to do every day, you know. I, I, I was going to go swimming each morning. So that's kind of a sanitary thing to do when I some people swimming every morning. There are public pools everywhere. And I was going to do that. And, and I was going to read a religious text for an hour each day. And so I had this thing, and, and then I was going to eat moosey. You have moosey here? Uh, it's like, uh, like, like really coarse oats, really good for you, you know, for your uh, GI tract. So, you know, I was going to do that because I never ate breakfast. And, uh, and I went ahead and I went home and I got up at 6.30 in the morning and I was you know, I ate my moosey, you know, really healthy stuff. And I, I read a religious text for an hour this morning. It was, you know, the religious text I chose to read, if I, if I mention it, I, I, I have offended some people in the past, which is not a hobby of mine. So I just say, this religious text is no picnic to read. You know, it's not like, it's not like uh, reading a comic. You know what I'm saying? I really had to concentrate and, <laughs> and kind of work through it. But still, I did it. And after, uh, after about six weeks of that, I, I kind of figured out I was going to drink anything. You know what I'm saying? All my fine program, I've been trying to stay sober there for, been relapsing for two years. Uh, all my fine attempts, this was getting me nowhere, and I felt it. I, I was kind of getting to know what the mental session was like a little bit, and I knew the place I was at, and I was going to drink it. And, and you know, the, you know, doing my own spiritual cultivating without any action, that's kind of my point. You know, doing physical exercise and then eating a lot of moose the, the the only better, you know, the only improvements I got from all this was maybe, you know, better stools for eating moose and exercise. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I was still, still going to get drunk. Because I'm an alcoholic. And exercise and, you know, filling with this and this and this and that is not going to get me sober. Uh, and I am a real alcoholic. When I, I remember when I was sitting in the chair for Alcoholism in the beginning, and I heard somebody say, I'm a real alcoholic. My, my stomach used to churn. Sure, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm not shit. You know, what does that mean? <laughs> I'm not a real alcoholic. This guy, he must have killed five people in a blackout, and I'm still a bus, you know, drunk. You know, and drove over half of Canada or something. You know what I'm saying? Real alcoholic. That must be something intense. <laughs> But as I as I read through the big book, being a real alcoholic, according to the big book, means basically only two things. You have a physical allergy towards alcohol, and you have a mental obsession towards alcohol. If you have these two things, it's like a, a three, you know, three for two deal. You have a spiritual malady, and, and most likely likelihood, and uh, if you're an alcoholic, by the definition of the big book. And, you know, I definitely have a physical allergy towards alcohol, even with some cool bonus features, you know, some extra stuff. Not everybody has, like, like long, excessive blackouts where I tend to do illegal things and don't remember at all. It stops being amusing after a while. <coughs> uh, and, and really, really extreme my character changes. That doesn't mean I'm a more, more or less of an alcoholic than anybody else. That just means maybe it helped me get into the roots of alcoholics and I'm I don't know. And then, you know, the mental obsession. I believe I don't have the allergy anymore. I, I believe I can drink again. 
for any reason. Sometimes I just, you know, convenience and forget, and sometimes I just don't care. Sometimes I just put it in the context so I don't, I don't care. I don't think anything. Sometimes there's no fight and I just drink. I don't even think about it. And um, so I, so I went into uh, a day treatment program and uh, and then went into uh, service and I I got a sponsor, you know, kind of a, the biggest coolest sponsor and the biggest group I was attending and. And the only thing that sponsor could, could kind of relate to me was his resentment towards, you know, how other people were doing the program. And if, if, there, were, if there was one thing I didn't need in Alcoholics Anonymous was how to be resentful. You know, I didn't need a course in that. I'm a freaking expert in being resentful. You know what I'm saying? That is the thing I knew how to do when I got into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. So, you know, and although I didn't know anything about AA, I didn't know anything about any you know, politics or any rivalry that might exist in, in AA, I knew that I didn't want what this guy had to offer. So in August of 99, I, I went to a guy who basically disturbed the steps out of a Bigfoot. And that's what we did. We read this Bigfoot together, and whenever the Bigfoot told us to do anything, we just did it, or I did it. And what happened to me is that there was a fundamental change inside of me. I had a spiritual awakening. My attitudes, my outlook on life was fundamentally changed. Uh, and, you know, like, it's, uh, you know, like, like some speakers may, you know, put it, you know, I haven't, I, I got a new pair of glasses. It was like I'd been perceiving reality through, you know, a dark lens or something. And the dark lens was just taken away. So reality didn't change at all. Just my perception of reality. You, know, you guys stayed the same. I just stopped perceiving you as assholes. You know, I just stopped perceiving you as useless pieces of meat. You know what I'm saying? Because that's how I felt when I was thinking. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, and so in uh, in about. Um, I guess it was in January of 2000 that I started, you know, people trying to work with our alcoholics. And for about four to six months, I probably read the doctor's opinion in the foreword 10, 12 times with 10, 12 different guys. And I was getting so fed up with it that I used to, <laughs> when I got a new guy, I used to just start like chapter two or something because I was so sick of reading the doctor's opinion all the time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> because I figured I was just going to get drunk anyway, wasn't I? <laughs> but in, uh, in, but in August of, of probably 2000, I sat through my first fifth step and since that time I've sat through more fifth steps than I care to remember. Uh, and, and kind of since early 2000 I've been working consistently with alcoholics and that's the experience I have you know um, nothing more nothing less uh, and I've been doing I've been doing this AA deal as, as to the best of my abilities I was thinking maybe that uh, tonight I would talk about my experience you know working work, you know, doing an actual self-help work working with newcomers uh, how I work with new guys, and uh, maybe uh, next week talk a little bit about how, how to, you know, what happens when you, you know, 
get into a relationship in AA and then you get married and then you have kids and then you go to you know, school and then you know, all that stuff. And trying to do AA alongside with it without, you know, being divorced or losing your children, you know. <laughs> so that's that's been interesting. Um, so maybe, you know, focus a little bit on the second step of the twelfth step. The second part of the twelfth step. Or uh, so yeah, uh, basically uh, the way I was sponsored through the big book that comes out of a group in, in Washington, Seattle, Seattle, Washington, and my sponsor uh, was kind of halfway out of that method, but but still he kind of used it, and and so I I read a text I read. I think I read Dr. Bob in the good old timers, if anybody's familiar with that. It's kind of the history of AA in the context of Dr. Bob, one of the co-founders of, of the fellowship. And uh, then there were some hoops along the way I had to jump through, in addition to reading a book. I listened to some speaker tapes, I did some exercises, stuff like that. And that's fine. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it definitely resulted in me getting spiritual awakening. The second sponsee I got, he was dyslexic. Good luck, you know, and he's outstanding. He's not going to read Dr. Bob in the good old times. You know what I'm saying? So what do I do? I'm sorry, I can't sponsor you. You can't read. You know what I'm saying? Can't read Dr. Bob in the good old times. So, so what happened then? What happened to me and 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 a bunch of guys that I was hanging around with at the time that that we started, I guess, working the working the program more out of the book and just because I think it's just because it felt kind of simpler and there were some the, when, the, when the kind of steps re-emerged in Iceland in 1996 this method was pretty rigidly followed just because that seemed to be the only way to survive in a let's say an AA landscape that was somewhat hostile to talk about of higher, a higher power. People used to get kicked out of meetings. Not talking about even they didn't use the word God. They just used the word higher power and they were kicked out of meetings. So, you know, there's <laughs> there was some hostility, let's say, you know, toward people trying to do this work and uh, do this work and it's hard, you know, to, to work the steps and do this this program in the book without approaching or talking about God and higher powers, you can imagine. So they they had this uh, approach that, that worked at the time, and as a, a fellowship grew up that was doing this program, I guess the need for such a rigid, for such a methodological, methodological approach wasn't needed, needed as much. That being said, you know, I have, I, I, I really don't think that's a huge issue exactly how, you know, if we work the steps and we, you know, walk naked backwards to smelling while working the steps or as a part of a fifth step or something, that's fine. You know what I'm saying? Or or we do <coughs> all kinds of exercises. And they help a lot of people. They do, you know, and, and they definitely serve a purpose, you know, for some. But I'm just saying what I found in my experience is that, that the simpler I kept it, you know, for me as a sponsor, the easier it got to sponsor guys. Uh, so I, so basically, you know, uh, what I started to do more and more was just sitting down with, with guys and reading the big book with them. 
And and as I, I said in the beginning, whenever the big book told us to do or something, we I, you know we did it. Uh, I and, and that's kind of an approach that works for me. The, you can, I, I, and as I said, I think the details. So as, as long as we follow these directions, don't matter at all. In my experience, I've met all kinds of guys with all kinds of cool spiritual lives that done this thing in all kinds of ways. Uh, but I guess I just what I want to convey is that you know if you feel that's too complicated for us or if you can't kind of reach around with those approaches it's okay just to go with the book too that's fine it's not a less cooler way you know what I'm saying it's okay just to use the book you know it works fine for a lot of things um, kind of what and what I was what I was kind of experiencing with that is because I'm I'm American idiot and I you know I used to think for a while that I, I, I was the greatest sponsor around so I was kind of afraid that my sponsees would mess this beautiful program up as I as I kind of conveyed it so I started out writing a little you know little directions taking stuff out of the big book just so these idiots wouldn't you know mess up the program you know what I'm saying <laughs> and after a while of doing that it kind of added on a little bit and I just saw that this was heading in the wrong direction you know what I'm saying uh, the directions are in the book and <clears throat> it's fine for me to try to improve it but for me may, maybe you know maybe because I'm, I'm especially an idiot I don't know but for me it's a slippery slope you know trying to improve on the program you know, getting real specific, well, you have to do it this way and that way, and, and kind of taking God out of the equation. You know what I'm saying? Being so specific that my sponsees didn't even feel like they had room anymore to do, you know, to follow their insights. Like the chapter 7 clearly tells us to do and what you think of. So, maybe somebody is supposed to do something, you know, this way and do this thing, and, and somebody else is supposed to do it another way. You know, I... I, I and I'm not a firm believer in rigidity at, at this point because I just have to notice it, it doesn't work for everybody. <laughs> for some, it may work really well. And, that's, and maybe their sponsor is getting, their, you know, getting that feeling that this guy needs that. But it's not going to work for everybody. And what I've been noticing is that and there's a reason why in the seventh chapter when they talk about working with others and in the big book in general, they, <coughs> they talk about principles. They talk about principles much more than, you know, at 3 a.m. you're supposed to, you know, do this and do that, and, you know, change underwear and stuff like that. It's, and, and that's because it's much easier to maneuver, you know, within the, you know, just having the principles, spiritual principles to guide us rather, rather than rigid rules about doing this and that. Anyway, so that's kind of been my experience, experience with working out of the book. Uh, the, the kind of the method I use, I think, is, is less important than, you know, kind of than the principles I follow. And so, what I tried to do, and this is an there was a point in time I was sponsoring, I think, 32 guys. <coughs> because nobody else could be a sponsor, right? I was the best sponsor, so, like, a half-ass job, from my point, it's much better than you guys doing your best. I'm so much better than you. You know, like, so a 10% effort for me is going to be better than your 100%, right? 
So that's why I took on guys, you know, just hundreds, you know what I'm saying? And I didn't return phone calls. <laughs> because, you know, one phone call a week for me is better than ten from you guys, right? Because I'm so freaking great. Uh, <coughs> and, you know, I found myself collecting sponsees. You know what I'm saying? And I was so glad when I got a sponsee that had some time and reputation in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I got him over to me, you know what I'm saying? It kind of, I felt it kind of built upon my status, not the hard mom, you know? Especially if he had some sponsors of his own shit like that. So, you know, there's no, po- there's no limit how insane you can get an alcoholic mom to do it. And give me something beautiful and, and unspoiled and innocent and, and great like a self-step. And I'll just disfigure it in ten minutes. You know what I'm saying? Just completely mess it up. Well, that's fine. That's a part of the process. Uh, so what I kind of finally got around to is that, you know, through a, <coughs> through a series of, of, of hard experiences, was that I, I started after I got after I, you know, worked with a bunch of guys for some time, and I had a had guys I was sponsoring on a regular basis, but were through the work they were working with others. I I only worked with one guy at a time, and uh, and that's and I, again I'm not saying you know you you burn in hell if you work with new, more than one newcomer you know at a time because that's not what I'm saying. I'm, what I'm saying is that after I got to to a place where I was sponsoring a, a bunch of guys, you know, that had gone through the work and they don't, you know, take all, all that much time but still kind of get a shot, I found out that I, I didn't have the time to work efficiently with more than one newcomer. You know, and that number might be high for you guys. I don't know. I'm just relaying my experience. And it was kind of hard to let go of that. You know what I'm saying? Not to say yes to everybody. And, and kind of that arrogance of thinking that my people, you know, best would be better than your very best. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so when I, so when I got to that point, it, you know, I, I and I got guys asking me to work with them that I I didn't have time for. I just didn't say no. I said I'm sorry, I don't have time at this point. You know, I, I wouldn't do a good job if I would say yes. And then I would lead them to somebody who could definitely work with them. And that that worked really well, you know. And the way I want want to go through this program today with guys is I want to meet them two to three times a week physically and uh, spend time with them. I I don't want to spend a lot of time going through, you know, keeping them in the first first three steps. I want I want to read through it pretty quickly and go through it pretty quickly to get them into a spiritual experience. Again, you know, there are always exceptions, and I have to use my insight. And I don't know if this is useful for anybody, but but this is my experience that that sometimes I, you know, if they've been around AA for a long time, they know the book better than I do. They've been in Alcoholics Anonymous for 50 years, just realizing, you know, but they've been here in these rooms, uh, opposed to my nine and a half years. Um, you know, we, we sometimes just we go through and we. We do the third step together. We make sure the A, B, A, B's and C's are there, and then the guy just starts writing. You know, after the very first time we meet, because he needs to get God. <laughs> He's going to relapse in two days, and a lot of you guys have probably worked with guys like that. They can't stay sober for a week. 
you know, where they don't have the luxury of, of you know, Billy having what work here, Billy, something? Beautiful. Thank you. About <coughs> uh, with this pain, they, they need to get some solution and they need to get it as soon as possible. Then they can go over the nuances again, you know, when they, when they have the presence of mind and the chance to do so. Uh, and as I said, I, I like to spend time with the guys I'm sponsoring. I, I really take it seriously to answer all calls, stuff like that. It's so important. I've gotten, I've gotten a bunch of sponsors just from guys who don't answer the phone. So, thank you if you're not answering the phone. But, <laughs> but still, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, I guess it's not really useful for the newcomer. Uh, I return calls, you know, I, and I take it pretty seriously. And, and it really helped me to understand when I was working with new guys that I, I heard this from the speaker, and this is something I really used a lot and helped, uh, helped me out a lot. Is if, if they care, I have to care, but if they don't care, I can't care. Uh, and so my enthusiasm is going to be based proportionally on their enthusiasm. Uh, I was, and I don't know if I talked about this in the meeting before, but I was, I was working with a guy for a year who called me, and it was probably an eight-month period. He called me every single day. This was when I was probably two years older at the time. He called me every single day, and just he didn't talk about anything, you know. And I could, he, you know, he just he he just delayed the event of the day for me without ever in any context of working the steps or or anything spiritual or anything based on his recovery. And that's okay, but it went on for like seven or eight months. And he didn't he didn't do do the steps to the best of his ability. He had a resentment list and there were two things on the resentment list, I remember. Uh, people and my bank manager. And that's it. That was his that was his that was you know what I'm saying? And this was not a guy who had, had any problems processing things. He had a good brain, he, you know, he could read all that stuff. Uh, he just, you know, didn't make the effort. And after about a year of this, you know, I, I was always, well, he's trying to do something. He's calling at least and stuff like that. And after about a year, I kind of realized that he was taking up time that I could be spending with other newcomers. And at the time, I was, you know, I was fishing alcohol, and I had a lot of stuff to do. I was saying no to to new guys. So what I basically learned how to tell uh, to tell him was that, you know, our relationship is based kind of on the premises that you you want what I have to give. You know what I'm saying? And that you show me by a course of action, not by your words, but by a course of action that you care about this thing and that, you know, you're, you're trying. Because the only authority I have in, in the lives of the guys I'm working with is how I spend my time. I don't believe I have any other authority. I, I, I don't have any authority how, how what they work, you know, what the relationships are like or how, you know, when they stop seeing a girlfriend or start seeing her, or, you know, that's none of my concern. I'm not... <laughs> I'm not the CEO of anybody's life, and that's not a part of my job description according to, you know, at least the way I read the big book. Uh, I'm there to relay my experience. And the only authority, the only power I have is how I spend my time. 
So I try to spend it wisely. And this is what I, I say to guys when I start to work with them. I'm not their friend. If they need to talk about their feelings a lot, I'm probably, you know, without the context of the big book, I'm not saying I'm going to kick everybody out that mentions the word feelings. <laughs> I'm just saying if that's all they want to do, if they think I'm like a, like a therapist or they expect me to drive them around everywhere and stuff like that without them doing any of the work, you know, they're mistaken. That's not my job. We have all kinds of, you know, we have dear John Collins and the newspapers they can write, in, write to. They have probably old friends and their mothers, grandmothers. They can talk to if they need a sympathetic ear. You know what I'm saying? That's not my job just to do that. That can't, don't misunderstand, that can't be a part of my job if the, if the guy I'm working with is doing the work. But if he's not, and if I sense he's not doing his best, and mind you, the, you know, doing, doing one's best can mean all kinds of things. You know, that totally depends on the guy you're working with. You know, sometimes these guys can't write the four step, they're not capable of doing so. You know, that's fine. I'm not really rigid about it. But if I just get this strong feeling repeatedly that, that they, don't care, they don't care about this, I'm not going to care. And I explain that. I never, I never duck anybody as a sponsor. I never say, I'm not going to be a sponsor anymore. I just, I just do the good feel. I just explain what a relationship is based on. And it's nothing personal. <coughs> and I just ex- explain to them, you know, I don't want to be your friend. I have enough friends. Perhaps in the future, our, our friendship will evolve, and it has done so with many of my sponsors. But that's not my primary job. My primary job is to share the experience of going through this work and getting closer to God, so you don't have to do it. If you don't want to do that, why are we talking? Why are we meeting? Uh, and I don't try to be anybody that I'm not. You know, I don't try to be like a crusty 50-year-old guy who bought a man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> being like all hardcore and kind of, cr- you know what I'm saying, crusty. I just, I try to be sincere and tell the truth as I understand it. Not to try to be hardcore or, you know, given tough love or something like that. That isn't a part of who I am. You know, I just try to be sincere about it. And that, and I've said this stuff to a lot of guys with, with all kinds of past and they never took it back. You know what I'm saying? Because they, I think they just sense I'm being sincere about it. Uh, and and at, le- at least not to me, they've conveyed a sense of, of reject- rejection because that's not what I'm doing. I'm just kind of explaining, you know, what this relationship is going to be about. Uh, kind of... Um, after I, after I, 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 after I kind of say yes to a guy that I'm going to work with him, I, I always take one session to introduce what you're going to do and kind of talk up in a, somewhat in the, in the kind of way of, of things like I've been, I've been discussing a little bit now. And that saves me, that has, I, I, I've, I've done that probably for the last five years and that saved me a lot of time. You know, because I tend to, if I just sit down and explain in uh, quite like no uncertain terms what this work is going to be like and how I do this program and what I have to offer, uh, 
it kind of reduces me spending a lot of time on, on guys that are not willing to do this or, or don't care for the approach I take to this, this program. And I'm not saying they have less quality of sobriety than I have or anything like that. I'm just saying that, that I do the AA program in a specific way. And it's not the only way. I'm not saying it's the right way. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying that I'm doing it in a way that's kept me sober. And I know quite a few guys that need the same approach to stay sober. And, and what I'm talking about is basically, you know, being firmly based, you know, in God and the big book and, and a lot of work with other people. A lot of work with other people. And, uh, and so if I explain these things right away and explain my approach, you know, that helps a great deal and that saves everybody a lot of time. Uh, and as I said, I, I know I'm here in Alcoholics Anonymous to, to represent or to, not even represent, just to be here with the solution for that guy who's like me that needs the same approach that I do. Now, if, if a person needs something else, uh, she can, you know, that person can definitely find it in the room's lock. There's enough variety here. There's enough, you know, all kinds of approaches to this deal or, or non-approaches or, you know, not using the book at all, using spoken from Oprah and Craig. That's beautiful and fine. But that's not going to keep me sober. That's not going to get me sober. And I can't offer that kind of a program, you know. My only purpose when working with a new guy today is to get him involved in the cultural group and get that into the core of his being. Everybody that I've worked with and have, has gotten that to the core of their being, that the 12 step is the foundation stone of their recovery, it doesn't get drunk. It happens, of course, but it happens much more rarely. People have to pretty work well at it. If they have this idea of really that the first thing you turn to when the shit hits the fan is working with another alcoholic, if you have that idea really ingrained in you, you're gonna work you're gonna have to work hard to get drunk. You can of course if you you know if you uh, apply yourself. But it's gonna take some more work than, than before. Um, and and so that's my and so that's my only goal. Not to make people dependent on me, but but to, you know, direct them towards Scott. Not to, you know, train somebody to do as I say and, and you know, admire my ways, but to, you know, go and seek out the newcomer and work with him, you know. And, and just try to make, and I, I remember there was a speaker who said this that, that I, I was kind of impressed by. He said, you know, he, that he made people attacks in working with others. And I really liked that, because in the beginning I thought I wasn't worth it, you know, and I saw guys with a lot of sobriety talking all this shit, pardon my friends, you know what I'm saying, sounding like they knew what the heck they were talking about and working with others. And I thought, well, these guys should be the ones, you know, let's leave it up to the experts to work with the newcomers. You know, I'll just, I'll just stay here and kind of relax and watch on the sidelines. And, and what I learned is that that there's a guy out there who needs my story, who needs my version of the big book. And he's not gonna he's not gonna be able to hear the version of the guy with the thirty five years, you know, who sponsored two thousand guys in the variety. He's not gonna be able to hear that guy. He needs my version of the big book. He needs my approach. That's 
you know, and, and if God sends me somebody to work with, that's that's because he needs to hear my version of the scripture. He doesn't need to hear it, you know, for more than a week, and that's fine. You know, at least for that week, I won't be too obsessed about how I feel all the time, you know, because I'll be thinking about him a little bit more. I'll be removed from myself a little bit, and and I kind of realized that. I don't need to be perfect about this, you know, tall step deal. I don't need to say all the right things. I just need to be sincere and try to be do a spiritual program and try to follow these principles as fast as I can. You know what I'm saying? And and just that, you know, being willing to just a simple thing like meeting a newcomer at a meeting. You know, that's that's you know, in some groups that's a forgotten art. You know what I'm saying? You come into a group and there's 50 people there and you feel like a leper because nobody teaches you. you know? and, uh, and that's kind of, you know, it doesn't, the only, it doesn't talk, the big book doesn't talk about meetings a lot, but they say that in, in, the, in the closing of Bill's story, they talk about we, we gather frequently so that the newcomer may find the fellowship he seeks. And so, basically, the reason why we're gathering here is because, you know, so for, for the newcomer to find a place where he can go to, you know, where he can feel welcome. Not preached to or <laughs> bullied into doing things our way, nothing like that, just being welcome. And, and I, I, I just noticed so many times, you know, just the relief, you know, <laughs> in a place when you just walk off to, walk to him and say, well, welcome to me, good to have you here. Nothing deep, you know what I'm saying? Nothing life-changing, life-shattering. Nothing that's going to rock their world, you know, make them find God now. You know, just being friendly, you know, just being... And, and that goes a long way, you know. And that's an excellent start. Every, every meeting I go to, I, if I don't, can't do it before the meeting, I try to do it after the meeting. He's at least the new pastor. And I give him my number. And, you know, I give out 100 numbers and I get probably one or two phone calls, something like that. This means I give out, you know, give out my phone number a lot. But, but it's, it's the thing that works. And, and about, you know, getting toast at work, getting sponsees, I don't, I don't believe sitting timidly at the sidelines like a, like a 15 year old at a school dance hoping somebody's going to ask her to dance. You know what I'm saying? I don't believe in that. I'm doing self separate. I go out and I, I go and seek it out because I really need the self separate. It's the foundation stone of my recovery. You know? And I go to, I go to meetings and I, I seek it out. When I, when I needed a drink, I wasn't timid about that. I never was. I broke the laws. I was rude to people. I stole. I wrecked a whole lot of relationship because I needed that. <laughs> and I just went out and got it. Of course, I don't need to be, you know, that crash when seeking out self today, but I don't, there's no reason to be timid about it. There's no reason to wait until somebody discovers me. I have to go out there and, and seek it. And, you know, it's really easy enough to have anonymous today to seek it out. There's a lot of meetings all over the place, all kinds of service opportunities, and a lot of newcomers out there that are waiting for your story. Not some old-timer story. You know what I'm saying? They're waiting for your story, your version of the big book. 
they, they need it. They're not going to get sober unless they hear it or something like it. So, <coughs> so that thing about some people being experts and doing that, I, I really don't believe that. I just believe in if we're sincere and we, we make ourselves available, that's you know, it's going to keep us sober and it's going to be of some use in this fellowship. Uh, I always explain to the guys I'm working with why I'm working with them. And that's out late in chapter 7 too. I explain that I'm not doing this for you. you know, maybe on my good days I am. Perhaps. You know, if I'm lucky enough. But I'm doing this to keep sober. I'm, I'm doing this to stay sober. And that's what I said in the beginning when I came here and I'm, I'm here to stay sober. <laughs> because this, through experience, I have found that nothing works as efficiently against taking the first drink as working with another alcoholic or trying to carry this message. You know. And uh, the beautiful thing is I don't get paid by results in alcohol tonight. If you all think what I said tonight is a bunch of crap, what a strange Icelandic version of the big book this is you know what I'm saying that's fine it really doesn't matter because I'm sincerely trying to carry this message to the best of my abilities and I get, I get and it's kind of like I don't know if that goes for for the United States but we make fun of government employees in, in Iceland and because I'm a government employee I feel entitled to do so here uh and it's kind of like being a government employee. I don't get paid by results. I just have to show up and spend the time there. You know <laughs> and in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, that's what it is. I can work with a guy for two months or whatever, you know, see him three times a week. And, and if he gets drunk, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't reduce the quality of the sobriety I got from him. You know what I'm saying? And when I'm feeling cynical, that occasionally happens, <laughs> you know, I just view the, the culture of work as, as kind of, you know, getting as much sobriety from the newcomer as I can before it gets drunk. <laughs> this is, of course, very cynical. But, uh, <clears throat> and, uh, and if you stay sober, that's great. But I need to work with a newcomer, you know. I need to do it. And I don't do it for money. I don't do it for, for prestige. Oh my God, not prestige, not the Hans and uh, There's no hidden agenda. I'm not going to, the guys I work with, I'm not going to ask them to sign a, you know what I'm saying, sign a, a loan or, I'm not going to put it in my resume. I'm not going to get a discount at Target for working with new company. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing I get from it except my own recovery. And that's the biggest thing. That's right. That's the biggest thing in my life today. If I don't have my recovery, my relationship with God, I'm going to get drunk. You know. So if somebody's if somebody's working with you, he's not doing it, you know, for any hidden agenda. Hopefully, he's just doing it for his own recovery. And that's it. And you don't have to give him anything back. If you can, try to you know. And if if the message works, try to carry it to the next newcomer. That's it. There's nothing else. There's no hidden agenda in Alcoholics Anonymous. And isn't that a rare thing today? You know what I'm saying? There's no, <laughs> there's no switch and bait. You know, there's no trick involved. It's just, it is what it is. So, is that good enough for today? And, and should we take like a little 
Do you want anything like that? Or yeah. yeah. And we'll continue next week. Okay. I think the best person can afford them to go.